Well, hello, giblets. Welcome to another episode of The Gazette, a podcast involving two blokes who run out of things to say so quickly that we need to rely on somebody far more entertaining to join us to carry the can. Joining me is uh, Julian Abbott. Hello, Julian. Hello there, Ross. It's great to be back. We've had a little bit of a break, but now that we've decided to work politician hours and only sit every now and then, it's good to be back. Yes. Yeah, uh, so much happening in the world, but um, none of it we're going to talk about today because we've got a very special guest, Julian, uh, and I'm super happy, super Jesus happy, in fact, which is like a next level happy uh, to have as our special guest on the Giblets Gazette today, Miss Sarah McLeod from Super Jesus fame. Hello, Sarah. Hi, guys. How are you? Very well. We are. You? Yes. Good, Lo- lovely to meet you, and thank you very much for having me. I no, giblets, giblets or giblets? Well, it's a, yes, we we actually you're not going to believe this, Sarah. We devoted a whole episode uh, of the Giblets Gazette to talking about things such as is it giblets or giblets, <laughs> and also what is, what in fact are giblets and are they useful? <laughs> so I look at them as giblets, and I always thought that they were weird little organs that you feed your dog as a treat. They are, and they come from a chicken. Apparently, we actually had a but- we actually had a butcher on uh, one of our first episodes to explain what a giblet what a giblet is. They're not great. I don't think they're actually useful for anything but dog feed. He tried. To, he, tried to, he tried to. Well, he tried to talk them up. He tried to talk them up, but we weren't sold. And um, we- no. So you instead you just named your whole podcast over it. Yeah, that's right. Well, if we thought it, we thought it was we thought it was quite fitting actually. It sort well, of covered one, the podcast. Well, when the, you know, one day they might be popular, and we've already got it. Yeah, in, but for now, now Sarah. Yeah, now Sarah. That's right. Yes, exactly. Now Sarah, I need to declare this early on because I, I don't want this to become awkward uh, later and. Because rule three, apparently, of doing a good podcast is never make your guests feel awkward. So um, I just need to de- I need to declare so that you don't think I'm a bit of a fanboy, but uh, huge, huge Super Jesus fan, uh, huge fan of Gravity, which I think has one of the great guitar opening riffs of all time. And I have a I have a um, running playlist that I use when I'm doing exercise. And Gravity is on there, and it's one of my most favourite songs to run to. So congratulations on making my running playlist, Sarah. Wow, okay. So that's um, rule number three. I now feel awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just yeah, say, sorry. while he might yeah. like the song, he probably doesn't hear it all that often anyway. Well, he, he doesn't be run going very well. That- wouldn't be doing that much running. Yeah. Wouldn't be doing that much running. <laughs> well, well, actually, actually, what I've done now, anyone who's seen me running will think, "Gee, gravity can't be a very good song to run to because he always looks so awkward. He always yeah. looks so rubbish. He looks so miserable." Yeah, <laughs> but I do. The music. But I do love that song, and I love that opening riff, Sarah. And and I mean, did you enjoy playing it? It's such a good song. Um. Yeah, I enjoyed playing it. I guess I mean, I've been playing it for so long now. It's just kind of a bit of an autopilot situation. Yeah, I I like it. I, I always love the new stuff. I love everything that I write. Like yesterday, you know, that's my great white thing. And then everything that I've written before yesterday, I'm like, whatever. I just forget. I'm just all about living in the now. Yeah. What I couldn't understand though, and I spent far too long analysing, was the um the film clip that went with the song. Um, you know, the you you're playing there to an audience that look totally disengaged and they're totally unimpressed by what you're putting on for them and in so much so that a couple of them bugger off and start snogging out the back and 
I spent too much time analyzing it to try and work out what that all meant. What was it all? What was the meaning of it all? That's interesting because I was wondering what it meant to myself. Because <laughs> we, we actually made, we made a video clip for that before that video clip. And I think we blew like 40 grand on it. And mm. then the label went, no, nah, we don't like it. Oh. And we were playing out on a football field and the, um, instruments were getting sucked into the ground. Like it was a very literal take but, on like the gravity. Gravity. Yeah, yeah. They had they had holes in the ground with machinery that would lower us down so it looked like we were being sucked into the ground while the earth was shaking while we played in this football field. It was really cool. Yeah, and then the, the label said, no, we don't like it. And then we went and made this other one. Um, and then I think the other one was a different take on it. It was meant to be like the the gravity of hurting somebody's feelings with love. Uh-oh. So that's why people were... People were getting it on with other people when they were supposed to be with someone else kind of situation. So it was a bit of a different take on it. So yeah, I, um, we used to shelve a lot of video clips back then. God, we wasted money. There's so much money wasted on video clips. We'd go, let's make this clip with blow like 60 grand and go, ah, no, we don't like it. Don't like your shirt. Let's do it again. Oh, so that was the norm back in the nineties. Yeah. You were. You- so the record, the record companies had that much say, did they? Yeah. I suppose if they're paying for it, were they paying for it? They were paying for it. Yeah. I mean, we were paying for it in the end you know but at the time we don't think that we're young and naive and we're just going yeah great okay you want to make it again we'll make an even better one yay i mean <laughs> it was a cool clip so yeah but yeah we've done that a few times uh, three uh, times we've done that with clips really so they so, so who's the creative genius that keeps getting their clips knocked back not you sarah surely no 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 they're just just different directors different yeah. random directors i can't remember who they are now this, my memory's not so good. You'll you'll find this out through the podcast as you ask me questions from my from <laughs> growing up. I'd be like, ah, oh. the, 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 the clips that the record companies reject. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The, the, the new one, the new yeah. one they made looked much cheaper than one of you being sucked into the ground and your instruments being sucked. Into. Yeah, yeah, that I think that was about sixty grand. They'll probably kill me if they can hear this, but yeah, that was very expensive. That one. Uh. <laughs> Well, a waste of art. I would love to know where it is. Someone told me once they saw it on a jukebox in a pub somewhere. You know how you have video jukeboxes? It came on, uh, the yeah. old version came on in a pub. I couldn't believe it. I've, I don't think I have a copy of I mean, I know I don't have a copy of it. It's not online. It's, I don't remember even seeing the final cut. So God knows how it ended up in the jukebox. Yeah, that sounds a bit weird. Because I would have thought the record company would have, would have uh, unless they were always planning to make a like an uncut version, of the, the, the clips that never went to air. I liked it. I, I mean, it's so simple, but uh, now that I know, now that I know what it's all about, I can uh, watch it now and get a better idea of what was going on. So, Why are you running? Yeah, it, <laughs> well, I'm running from the law. Why are you running from the law? Well, do you know what? It's quite, it's quite befitting. I think the first film clip would have been better because when I'm running, it does feel like I've been sucked into the ground, like well and truly, like my legs are merging with the cement. So that was, so that was. What would that must have been? Yeah, like, sounds like you're going to lose a few kilos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. This is a podcast. I can't even see you. So it's no, no. Oh, no. You, you're right. It's okay. <laughs> I'm skinny. I'm skinnier than you, Jules. Skinnier than you, my friend. Um, now, yeah, so that run. was uh, early 2000s. Yeah, exactly. That was early 2000s, Sarah. What what was life like for you guys then? You'd had, I think that was off your second album. Um, what I mean, life must have been pretty cruisy at that stage. You had two top 10 albums, hadn't you? No, actually, life was really terrifying at that point because we had 
we, uh, when we did Sumo, we had a certain lineup. There was four of us. I wrote all the songs with Chris Tennant, the original guitarist. Mm. And he and I um, were a couple, and we broke up. We were in America, touring America, and we, had, we were signed to Warners in America. We were touring in America, and then he um, he quit and split and went back to Australia. Yeah. And then we had to finish the American tour with um, our guitar tech stepping in to play guitar, get through the tour, and then we all came home. Then we had to find a new guitarist and wonder if we could ever pick up where we left off. So that, that whole era was really terrifying for me because I'd only ever written with Chris. I'd never written anything by myself. I went, I went and bought a, big, a book, and the book was called How to Write Hit Songs. <laughs> and I, I, read, <laughs> I read the first few chapters, and I was like, yeah, I got this. So who, wrote, who was the author? Who wrote that book? Uh, I don't know. It was something written in the 80s. It was pretty dated. It referred to a lot of Bon Jovi songs, and, uh, but it, the, uh, the crux of how you make a hook was in there. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I can do this. And um, then I just started writing by myself, and then we got a new guitarist. I started writing with a new guitarist, and Gravity was the first song that the new guitarist and myself wrote together. Wow. Um, and at first I didn't like it. I was like, at first I was like, I, didn't, I just didn't, that riff that you love so much, I was like, I don't know, man. It doesn't really? sound like us. It's too syncopated and needs more guitars. And then in the oh. end, it just kind of grew on me. Yeah. And we tried to put all these extra guitars over that, that, uh, the first eight bars. Oh. We layered it with all these extra hooks. Then we're like, no, it's just look in the mirror and take one thing off, or in this case, everything. Stripped it right back. Yeah. Yeah. No. But what? radio, but radio in this country loved it though. Yeah. So I didn't see that coming at all, but, um, everyone else did, which was great. And so then for us, it was like, okay. Now we're on our second record, different lineup, and we it's still working. You know, we're, we're okay. It's it, this band is not about the individual people; it's about the sum of its people. Yeah. And so then we realised that we could still carry on and be a successful band, and, and you, that was such a relief because that was a really scary time. Yeah. And did you have the um, did you have the book sort of stage left? So if you know, you could just go and open up and have a look and say, okay, I just need to check what I'm going to do here. And what is, what? <laughs> no. I only, I only read three chapters of it and I went, yeah, that'll do. I yeah. got it. And then I just <laughs> never read the rest. I mean, I should go back and read the rest. But I was like, yeah, I get the journal gist of the shit. Let's go. So now, so just tell me about though. So you'd gone to America and obviously for all musicians, you want to crack America, don't you? That That's where the big money is. That's where you, if you can crack America, people say you've made it. Did, so losing Chris during the tour, did that sort of stuff up your ambitions there? Did that throw everything in, in turmoil or? Yeah. Absolutely. And to which I felt responsible because it was because he and I had broken up. So I, I felt responsible for the demise of our potential in America. And it was not a light decision, but it was pretty heavy at the time. Yeah. And I hung in there for ages and I was like, um, I just got to follow my heart. I just have to follow my heart. And mm. if it means that the, the, it, it hurts the band and so be it, you know, like the guys wouldn't stay in a relationship. They weren't happy with the other guys. They wouldn't stay in a relationship. They were unhappy in for the sake of the band. Absolutely not. So I thought I've just I've just got to do what's what's best for my heart, you know. And it was a yeah, it was a pretty weird, pretty hard time. Did you think the band would survive when you got back to Australia? No, no. I was prepared to lose it all, but I was unhappy. So I, I just, you know, I, I wasn't really much of an option for me to stay. I was very unhappy. So I just figured that would be it, and we'd just come home and. Um, you know, I mean, my, my dad used to have a boat that he, that he, uh, built and he lived on it. And I just kept thinking, that's right. I just like, I'll go live on dad's boat and I'll have my acoustic guitar and I'll just sail around and I'll just jump off at whatever port and do gigs and I'll just make money that way. 
and that could be my life. Yeah. That was my next plan. That was my plan B. Were you were you feeling emotionally pretty bereft at the time? Were you, I mean, how were you feeling about it all? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd had enough. We also um, got worked to the bone in those days. Like we were co- touring constantly and we pretty much lived in a 12-seater Dodge Ram and we would have shows like, you know, hey, you're playing in L.A. tonight and then two nights later you're playing in Chicago, Ugh. but you've got to drive there. And, you know, so there's there's no stopping at hotels or anything. We just drove and took turns to sleep in the back. No one would shower, you know. Uh, like it was pretty, it was pretty grueling. And after, after a good eighteen months of that, you know, you just start going, oh, "What? Who? Where am I?" Yeah. Did, did you it started to make some traction? But I was going to say, did you feel like you were getting a connection though with the audience? Like, were you, were your crowds getting bigger as this, as the tour went on? Yeah, yeah, they were. They definitely were. And we went on this t- reality TV show called The Real World, and so then that became our thing. Everywhere we went, everyone was like, "I saw you guys on The Real World." I right. think which it was a show on MTV. Yeah, it was right. an MTV show, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know where the, where that went, but that was our sort of foot in the door into America. Now, did the real do world... Think, do you think... Young, sorry, Julian. Yeah, sorry, do you think young... Did, yeah, I was just going to ask, did the real world touch on what was happening off the stage, though? Did that sort of touch on your relationship issues or not? No, nah, we, we kept that very quiet. Nobody knew what was going on there. Not even the band knew for a long time. That was that was very much under wraps. We were, yeah, we were pretty quiet with all that. Yeah. Nobody needed to know. It was just my inner turmoil that I was dealing with. And then after a while, I was just like, "Sorry, everybody, this has been happening for two years. I hate to tell you, and it's all over." <laughs> do, do you think a band? Do you think a band though has to go to America these days to make it big? Ah, oh, no, I don't think so. I because mean, that was a well. Well, you know, sort of, you know, walked path for many Australian bands over the years, wasn't it? To get over to America, you've got to get to America. Yeah, but we didn't have the internet back then. No. Yeah. You know, we had to physically go over there. And we were old school. Like, we decided to base ourselves out of LA and do, like, each city at a time. So we we started in LA and we're like, okay, let's just do, let's just do the West Coast. And so we do, like, San Diego, San Francisco. Um, you know, or up and mm. down, just like work that. We used to go to Vegas all the time, just work that area. And then when that gets a little traction there, then we, you know, move a little bit further east. Um, and it was it was a laborious process. Yeah. But it was also fun, you know, like sometimes there's, you don't, and we're young, you know, we didn't we didn't want for anything else. We just wanted to rock. We just wanted, to, wanted it dirty to play on the road. And we didn't care that we didn't shower. We were just having fun. But um, the inner turmoil with the relationship that I kept quiet was it's Achilles heel. That's where I went wrong. Never fish off the company wharf, fellas. No, <laughs> no well, never, shit where you sw- never shit where you swim, as they say, Sarah. Yeah. So do, do, you, still have a fan, do you still have a fan base in the States? Uh, we get lots of, um, you know, uh, emails and messages and stuff from people in the States, but it was a long time ago. Are you going to go there again? Would you tour there again? Is there any plans? Uh, I possibly um, with this new record that we've got, we're pretty happy with it. So we're like, we could do a lot with this. You know, what do we want to do? Everybody seems pretty keen to 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 get back in um, in the ring and you know work hard again. Yeah. Have a nice long break. Yeah. Everyone seems pretty happy to to work hard again. We're going on a really long tour in um, August, August, September, October, November. So it goes for like four months. Yeah. At the end of this year. 
and we haven't toured like that even you know we just did just a gig here and there we've toured like that since the 90s so we're slowly sort of getting our feet wet and getting a taste for it again actually i just i noticed on that by the way <clears throat> nothing personal but um i think there's been a misprint because i can't see canberra on the list there so. uh, yeah that must be a misprint for sure <laughs> What's going what is going on come on i know Come on. I know. I noticed that because people have been messaging me going, no, every time you announce a tour, you always start getting people upset with you. Always. It's always no Perth, no Canberra, yeah. no San Diego, no this, no that. Like, no, no, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I don't book the tours. I just say I'm free between this date and this date. And then they say you're playing here. And I go, groovy. Let's go. We'll, we'll get um, you. But yes, I did notice there was no Canberra. Well, you're in bloody Wagga Wagga, for God's sake. We're going to hit you. Oh, that's, quite, that's, that's an outer suburb. Um did you so, ever receive any correspondence about the name Super Jesus? Uh, we did in America. We got a lot of bad feedback in the Bible Belt. Yeah, Ooh. we had people, we had people um, like picketing out the front of our gigs with signs and stuff. No. And we were like, well, it's it's just you know it's fictitious. It's not. We're not a religious band. We're not trying to make a statement. It's just buzzwords of the nineties. You know, like go do that to Jesus Jones or Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever consider changing your name for the state while you're in the states, or was that ever a thought? Uh, it was a discussion that we all decided was a bad idea. Too confusing. I don't think you should ever really change a name. Like even you remember when she had changed their name. Yes. She had changed their name um, yep. to Pacifier because it was too close to G Head. Yeah. Yeah. And that that was our same management. We still have the same management as she had, and um, we were always like, oh, I don't know if you should have done that. So I'm a huge She Head fan. Yep. Like, so we were like, good thing we didn't change our name. I don't think you should ever change your name. Like your brand, branding is everything. Unless you you branded it. Even unless you like prints, it. maybe. Unless you're prints, yeah, unless you're big enough. Yeah. I know you never talk about a lady's age, but can I just say, uh, Ross and I have a similar vintage, and I think you've just moved into the best decade you can live. Really? Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Which is I don't know what you year fifties. I don't know what you base that best. No, no, no. I feel I feel very comfortable in life. I feel very happy in life, and um, you'd be you better know, if you went out running myself. a bit more. Why don't you go out running a bit more? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> He's got no good music to go running to. I've got no good. I don't have a I don't have a discman to put gravity on. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, there was a period there where you fell out of love with the guitar, though, wasn't it? Yeah, well, of late, I've been obsessed with playing the piano. And it's because I taught myself in COVID. And just for years, I've, I'm just always, I'm, it's always really loud music that I am forcing. I'm screaming to hear over a loud band, always. And I'm always covered in wires and wires all around me all the time. And then I started playing piano and the piece just speaks to my heart, just to sit at the piano mm. quietly and just like, just hone in on the singing and the relaxation of the moment and feel the music more really um, struck a chord with me. So I, I just, I'm still playing heaps of guitar, you know, of course I am with the band, but um, with my solo stuff, I've moved mostly to piano these days and I love it. So is this, is this you maturing? Do you think? You're saying you sound like it's been immature. No, no. Well, I'm, the Come point on. I'm making is Julian. The older Julian. Rule uh, number older, two. Rule number two. No, like, rule, rule number two, two is don't <laughs> make them feel uncomfortable. Rule number two is don't insult the. No, guests. no, no. The reason the reason I say that is I've I've found that the older I get, the more I appreciate other things. Yeah, but like, I still like to 
jump up and down at a punk rock concert and be dripping with sweat. And like, I still love all that stuff, but I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. You know, I like the idea now. It is me maturing. I like the idea now of playing in a theatre with people sitting down, pin drop quiet, and sitting yeah. at, a, at a piano, telling stories and connecting that way. Yeah. Now, I, I still like to do the rock stuff, which is great because I've got the band for that, so I can get that out of my system. But with my solo stuff, I'm really enjoying taking on a new avenue. Can bear so that's you becoming more comfortable with your life, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think so, yeah. And also I think, you know, like when I'm like 60, 70, I'd love to be sitting at a piano doing that. I don't know if I want to be like jumping up and down, screaming over a loud band, band yeah. you know. Can like let me just say this: Ken Barons loves sitting down, listening to someone on a piano. Just, just putting it out there, Sarah. Yeah. Um, Ken Barons. People in Canberra were very refined. When you do, yeah, I think he's what he's saying is when you do your piano ensemble tour of Australia, yeah, you'll and Canberra. Canberra. Kick it off in Canberra. Yeah, okay. Sarah, can I walk uh, you I'm back gonna, a step? I'm going to ask about that. Yeah, can I just yeah. walk you back a step because you've come back from the US, you've decided to keep going, you've nailed an album or two. Uh, and then it's ended. What, so what, what, what brought about its demise then to, to initially? Oh, um, okay, so we were on our third record, which was called Rock Music. Yep. To be perfectly honest with you, I think we were all a little bit disappointed with how it was received. It didn't yep. reach the heights of the other two, and we thought it was our best record yet. We were so proud of it. I mean, I, I can't speak for the other guys, but I know I definitely – was a little bummed that it didn't reach the heights of the others. And we were tired and we had just come back from London where we played at a wine festival, an Australian wine festival, and it was our worst gig ever. Like the band was loose, we were, everyone was drunk. Yeah. We, was, we just kept walking off stage, like nobody cared. We just really lost the passion for about a couple of months there. Um, People just kept walking off stage. I did one spiel to the audience where I was, our manager timed it. Apparently I was talking for like 20 minutes between songs, just crapping on. Yeah. And meanwhile, like the other guys had just walked off and gone to the toilet. Anyway, then on our way home, we got sent to Johannesburg Airport with a nine-hour stopover. And so, again, we were just sitting at the bar, like, you know, tired and fighting and drinking. And, and then when we got home, we just all went, see ya. And everyone went home to their own houses. And just never said anything. We so, just never said anything. It was like years later, no one said anything. So I just went solo. No one said, let's break up. We just stopped talking to each other. It's uh -huh. quite funny. So, and, and, and. Yeah. <laughs> years later, we were like, uh, hello, you guys around? You want to play again? Everyone was like, yeah, we'd forgotten all about it. We were refreshed and ready to go. So who set the spark? Who, who gave the spark to get you back together again? Was that you? Uh, no, actually, our drummer, because he had moved to Seattle and he messaged saying he was coming back from Seattle. And we're like, Paul's coming home. What, what sh you know, it yeah. seems like a good opportunity to maybe get together. Yeah. So um, after that, it was me trying to rally everybody together. and Everyone seemed quite happy to do so. And did you jump at it, Sarah? Because you'd, you'd gone off and done your own stuff and, and had quite a good, I'm sure you enjoyed being the master of your own or mistress can you say mistress of your own domain? I don't know, actually. Mm. Uh, it's a bit sexy, doesn't it? It does, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> without, without Something it. the Conservative Party would have, I think you'll find, Ross. Oh, God. Yeah, I prefer master. It sounds good. Yes. Um, yeah, I was enjoying that, and I was doing all so lots of different things. I was living um, in London and New York, and I was doing dance music and 
I went off on all sorts of tangents, which was great. It was fun. You know, I liked to do different stuff. But it was also, it was about time for us to get back together. And I realised how much I loved the guys and how much I loved, you know, them as people and their humour. You know, especially Ruddy, the bass player Ruddy. I forgot how much I missed him. He's like my brother. Yeah. And when we got back together, I was just like, yeah, man. All right. You know, I can still do all that other stuff, but I can do this as well. Yeah. I can do it all. And it was it was lovely to have the family back together. Did you ask each other why you did that when you got back from South Africa? No, we've still never spoken about it. To this day, do you think, haven't you got, isn't there a book or something out there that says how to talk about uh, uncomfortable issues from your past or something? There must be a book somewhere about After that. After nine hours in a bar in South Africa? <laughs> yeah, I'll just read the first three chapters. And then go. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> well, maybe one of the first things, maybe if, you're, uh, if your relationship's in any danger, you shouldn't go and sit in a bar in Johannesburg for for nine hours. No. And so, do you think got- you'll ever do you think you'll ever discuss that? Listen about that, you know, missing three years or whatever. Well, um, it's funny because we get we get asked about it in interviews a lot, and everyone just says the same thing that we were tired, we were a bit drunk, we were a bit yeah. over each other. You know, then we, it's the whole thing at Johannesburg Airport because that's where it blew up, and then everyone says, and then we went home, and like no one, no one adds, no one fills in the gaps. Yeah. We don't, I don't think any of us really know. Forgotten. Well, <laughs> we just know that we were over it and just want to get out of there. It's good that no one blames anyone, though. It sounds like everyone's sort of thinking, oh, it was all our fault. It was not one person. It was not like Sarah's ego got out of control or anything like that. It was just, you know. Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't that. It was It was everybody. I think you'll find, Ross, it's they, because they've all... viciously throwing that in. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you'll find, Ross, it's because they've all matured. I think. Yes, because we're so mature. I, yeah, I was, yes, exactly right, yes. Um, and so when no, you my got, ego didn't get out of control, don't worry. When you got back together again, was it like putting on a, a, a comfy pair of slippers, like it was like you'd never been apart? It was beautiful, actually. It was about 10 years ago when we got back together. Yeah. And our first show was on my 40th birthday, and mm-hmm. they brought out a cake and had a little celebration, and it was packed. And like, we thought we'd just do one show see how it goes, see how we feel about each other, see if the crowd still like us. Yeah. And it was a great, it was great fun. It was a roaring success. We went, all right, let's get back together. This is cool. But we didn't make any music or anything. You know, I mean, we put it in an EP, but we haven't done a serious record until now. Yeah. So it's only now that we've gone, let's, let's, you know, let, let's get into it. Let's make a good record. Let's and, and spend let's, some time writing some good stuff. And let's call it something to make it sound like we're splitting up again. <laughs> What to to keep keep everyone on their toes? Yes, keep everyone guessing. Let's let's put our let's put a single out that makes it sound like we're going we're heading off again. We've had enough. We're going off into the sunset. Is that are you talking about lights out? Yeah, exactly. When I mean normally yeah. lights out means you finish <laughs> and you've got the lights out tour. It sounds like a Johnny Farnham yeah. farewell tour. This does. Yeah, you're right, doesn't it? Yeah, we should put a, should have put that at the end. Just on that though, just on that, the lights out, and and there actually is a serious story behind this, and and you talk about this uh, fan that um, that that you all knew so well who lost took a life. Um, what was how well did you know her, Sarah, and how much of an impact did that make on you guys? Uh, really well because she um, was in the very first group of, of fans that we used to have. They used to follow us around everywhere. So before before social media, I mean, it's like before MySpace, and there was a message board called Static that they started. The fans started it, and that's how they would communicate with each other. It was really old um, technology. And so they would just sort of type on there. 
And so all this sort of gang of people became friends through that message board. And then they, they've all been best friends ever since. And we've become really close to them along the way because they would come to every show. Um, and, and Rita, the one who passed, was always, she was always wearing headphones. So she, she was always a troubled soul and she didn't really like to talk much. She always kept these headphones on because music was everything to her. She was only comfortable when she was listening to music. So she had the headphones off during the show, but then after the show, you know, when you'd be talking to her, she always had the headphones on because it was her way of mm. um, being comforted. And, um, yeah, she was troubled for a really long time. And then two years ago, she lost her battle with it. So the song comes out at two days um, on her two year, two days after her two year anniversary. Mm. And so, yeah, it, it rocked all of us when we heard. So we thought we need to pay tribute to her somehow. Isn't it interesting? I mean, so many people you hear about what music, <clears throat> what music means to them and how, you know, they turn to music during their darkest moments and all that sort of stuff. And to feel like mm. you guys obviously made a connection with her and that, which must give it some extra emphasis for you, Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know uh, she was very insecure, you know, and I, I know that wherever she's now, she would be watching what's happening going, I can't believe you're doing that for me, you know, because she always felt like, you know, she wasn't worth, you know, don't, don't, don't give that to me. Oh, no, I'll sit at the back. And, you know, she would always feel like the underdog. Mm. So that's why, that's why this is even more special. How do you sit down and write a song like that for somebody that's gone through that and has done what they've done? I think with any song, you have to get your message clear before you start to write. If you've got a clear message and a clear story, a clear direction in your head, it's easy. Um, topical songs like this are trickier than straight up, you know, love songs, of course, because, um, you, you know, you've got to try and work out what tense to put it in, whether to put it in the first person, you know, how do you spin it. And also you've got to try and make it a little bit general as well so that other people can relate to it and it's not morose. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Did you, when you were writing it, did you sort of like channel any of your own emotions over the years? You know, you, you mentioned some of the dark moments when you were on tour in America. Did you sort of channel some of that into what you were trying to write to get the emotion into the song? Yeah, of course. That's how you do it. Yeah, you've got to put yourself in the shoes of that person and then imagine it's you. Yeah, that's how you do it. But then you've also got to try and keep it a little bit vague so other people can relate. Is it? Is it? Because it's got sort of one foot in each camp. Yeah. Was it cathartic at all for you to put that some of that out there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, songwriting is therapy for the soul. So I, I, I heal a lot of my issues through songwriting. It's the way I heal. Yeah. 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 I'm lucky I could do that. I saved money. I'm a therapist. Yeah, exactly right. And, <laughs> and buying books and buying books and stuff. <laughs> books. <laughs> yeah. Speak, speaking of books, did you read Jane Eyre at school? Okay, so this is funny. Funny you brought this up. No. And <laughs> um, all through the play, everyone was like, yeah, like, you know, I learned the script and everything, but everyone was always teasing me because I had never read the book. I was like, I saw the movie. And they're like, yeah, that's not the same. And so after we would finish a lot of the performances, we would have university um, classes coming in and we'd do no, Q&A. Lord, no. they, yeah, I know. And I'd be shitting myself going, oh, don't ask me. <laughs> oh, no. you know. And there was all these like deep reflections on feminism because, you know, the book has so much weight. People yeah. study it oh, at, at university, you know. And, Sarah and McLeod, your specialist <laughs> subject is Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
But I just, I fluffed my way through it, you know, fine. I managed to get through with a, you know, bit of a laugh and just uh, try and reflect through comedy. But I, I managed to get through them. But I was always nervous at the Q&As. I used to ask not to go to them. And the producer would always giggle and go, well, you could read the book. And I go, I don't have time to read the book. I'm going to learn all these lines and write the write the, the whole soundtrack. <laughs> to read the book. How, how different is it from saying writing a song? Um, you know, reading your book. Like money that came out earlier this year. As, as opposed to writing a soundtrack for something like this? Uh, a soundtrack's easier because you've got the story. So the director would say to me, I need a piece of music here. And you go, okay, so what's just happened? Like, you know, the two actors, the two lead people have just fallen in love. Someone else has come on the scene. They've, they've moved here. This is, you know, you, you get given the whole story, the picture, and then you write a song for it. It's, it's actually, I found it quite easy. I was like, yeah, great, cool. But burn through it. Yeah, just wish I'd have read the. So you would, when, you, you wouldn't consider moving a career in that direction or something like that, or you're happy just to be on the road and rocking and rolling. Oh, I know. I would never. I never give up something that I've started. So I just accumulate along the way. So you know, like I wouldn't go. Well, I'm going to give up rock and roll because now I'm going to do um, soundtracks. I would go. Okay, now I do rock and roll. I also play the piano. Now I do soundtracks. I'm also an actor. Whatever the whatever skill I've acquired along the way, I'll just put it in my backpack, which gets bigger and heavier, and just drag it with me for the rest of my life. Because you never know when you might need these tricks, and it's fun to be able to do different things. Well, Sarah, uh, it's been fun talking to you, except for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to go for a run. Uh, I've got to get my stuff. I've got to yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Julian, why don't you join oh. us, Julian? Come on, man. It's good for you. You, you know you'll love, you'll love us at the end. I'm virtually running now, Ross. I'm virtually running. Yeah. I'm lying on the couch in my robe drinking a beer. I'm oh, yeah. It is oh. A, Have fun. Time of the day. Sarah, it's been lovely catching up with you. Um, and so happy to hear that, uh, that things are going well again for you guys and that you're on the road again soon um and we know that we'll get you to we'll get you to canberra don't worry about that but um lots of other dates lots of other dates around australia um so go to uh go to the super wagga, jesus nice. yes wagga is nice any time of the year um go to the super jesus website i suppose is the best place to see your tour dates um and make sure you pop out and see them and and uh who knows you could be in their next film clip when the uh Record producers reject the expensive one. And just, <laughs> just the picture. We don't do that anymore, brother. Uh, right. <laughs> um, it's been lovely having you on the uh, on the Giblets Gazette. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, thank you for everybody. Thank you, Julian. You can get this, by the way. Don't forget, you can download it on iTunes, Spotify, all the usual places where you get good podcasts and rubbish podcasts and podcasts about giblets, which is what this is about. <laughs> Uh, for everyone. There is indeed. Sarah McLeod has been our guest from Super Jesus fame. Thank you, Sarah. All the best. See you, Julian. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ross.